Hey family, I'm personally excited to share this one with you. We asked my dad to speak on the subject of atonement. So here we have God's answer to the problem of sin by Vern Nesbitt. I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to start off by sharing something with you that may be rather surprising to you, um, but I feel that I need to share it right from the outset. Um, no born again child of God needs somebody else to teach them. Amen. Just listen. This is the Apostle John himself. Think of this. This is the Apostle John speaking. And the Apostle John says in 1 John 2.20, the anointing you receive from Christ lives in you. Right? This is what he says. You don't need anyone to teach you. Instead, Christ's anointing teaches you about everything his anointing is true and contains no lies. So live in Christ as he taught you to do, and so all of you will know the truth. So here's John himself, one of the original apostles and the only one living, the only living apostle at the time that he writes this, and he's saying, for all practical purposes, you don't need me. If you have the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of truth, then that's all you need. And then almost in a contradictory way, the scripture says, well, I'm going to read it to you. It was God who gave gifts to men. He appointed some to be apostles, others to be prophets, others to be evangelists, others to be pastors and teachers. He did this to prepare all God's people for the work of Christian service in order to build up the body of Christ. So you say, well, sounds pretty contradictory, but here's here's the beauty of the body of Christ. All through our lives, people have helped us to do one thing, be in the word. All of you have had to work, you've had to be employed in one form or another, I'm presuming most of you at least. Um, But the body of Christ has come around those that they recognize as teachers and said, we can't be completely 100% involved in the ministry of God's word, but we'd like to support you because we recognize that God has anointed you for this purpose. He's anointed me for that purpose. He's anointed me uh, or you for that purpose, but it looks like he's he's anointed you for the purpose of bringing the word of God uh, in a uh, continual manner. Well, well, The question is, how do we know if the teachings from God? How do we know if the teachings from God? Well, in the first place, we have this anointing. Now catch this. If anyone's will is to do God's will, 
That's the premise. Catch it. Catch it. We're talking about denominational leaders. We're talking about pastors. We're talking about teachers. We're talking about home group leaders, home churches. If anyone's will is to do God's will. You can say it again. If anyone's will is to do God's will. He will know. Jesus is speaking himself. He will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Catch that. Jesus is speaking. And he's saying there is a way that you can know whether what I'm saying is true or not. <clears throat> if you're ready for God's will, holy, submitted to God's will, if that's the fact, you're going to know whether it's of me or not. So it's the work of the Holy Spirit. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Consular, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will do two things. He will teach you all things, and he'll bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. So it behooves you, doesn't it? It behooves you to submit to God's will, not my will, but your be, your will be done. If this teaching is of you, as Scott has already prayed, seal it to our hearts. Seal it to our hearts. May it do something to us. Mm -hmm. May it transform us. May it succeed in its purpose. So, I'm going to um, have you volunteer, four volunteers, four passages of Scripture. These are the passages that I would like you to... Don't, don't be concerned. We're not going to go through all this. <laughs> yep. oh, would you read, please, Romans 3, 9? Yep. All right. <laughs> what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. All right. Does anybody have a problem with that scripture? Do we acknowledge that we're all sinners? Hmm. I mean, is there anybody in the room that doesn't acknowledge that? Okay. Premise one, we're all sinners. That's the given, isn't it? That's how it all begins. That's what the gospel is all about. We're all sinners. Premise two. Premise two is Romans 6.23. Who has that? Thank you. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right. The wages of sin is what? Death. 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 I, I, I want to ask you this question, okay? You're probably very, very familiar with that verse. Just let me ask you this. What does it mean to you? What does it mean to you when the Scripture teaches that there is a price for sin, that there's a cost of sin, that the wage of sin is what? Death. Death. What are we talking about? 
What are we talking about? Heaven if it, and hell. It, 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 amen, amen. Okay. If it, if it were merely talking about physical death, I mean, if that was the the essence of what the apostle is saying here, wouldn't have any bearing on anything at all. But obviously, there's a deeper meaning here, isn't there? The wage of sin is death. If I were to die right now, physically, uh, the Lord forbid, but <laughs> if I were to die right now, it would mean a separation takes place, a separation of my soul and spirit from my body, separation. From God's perspective, that's not death. From God's perspective, it's our soul and spirit being separated from him. How the Lord looks at things, physical death is common to all animals and to even plants and, okay. But what we're talking about when he says the wages of sin is death, he's talking about something far more tragic. And that is that we become separated from God. He is life. He is life. Mm -hmm. And so whether you put that into the context of eternal hell or whether you put it in the context of simply saying separation from God, there's no difference. Why? Because if you're separated from God, you're separated from love forever, forever. God is the author of love. He is love, is what the scripture says. So if we're separated from him, we'll never, ever, ever know love. We'll never, never know joy. We'll never, never know peace. To be separated from God is hell. <clears throat> On top of the other things that we read about Gehenna. All right, who has uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, please? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right, so let's fill in the pronouns there, okay? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, for our sake, God made him, Jesus, that's the context, God made Jesus, what? What does it say? If, if, if you haven't been able to turn to 2 Corinthians 5.21, and you are able, this might be a good time to turn there, because it's one of the most profound scriptures in all the Word of God. It says, for our sake, God made Jesus... This is not Vern Nesbitt talking. What does it say? God made Jesus to what? To be sin. Who knew no sin? So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. My brothers and sisters, if this scripture hasn't hit you, or scriptures like it by now, let this be the time. Let this be the time that God, it's, it's almost hard for me to, to enunciate pure scripture. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. I'm sorry, 
we should have had First Peter two twenty four first, but I have that one. But thank you, please. First uh -huh. Peter two twenty four. He himself carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we would be dead to sin and live for righteousness. Okay. Our instant healing flowed from his wounding. Yes. Thank you. This is the Passion Translation, so that, there's a little more added to it. Now, now catch this. Jesus himself, it says, bore our sins in his body mm -hmm. on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Now, I want you to notice uh if you had an opportunity to compare these two scriptures side by side, so to speak, I have the privilege of doing that right right here. In 1 Peter 2.24, it's talking about one kind of sin. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it's talking about another kind of sin. So let me distinguish those two. 1 Peter 2.24, it says this. Jesus himself bore our sins. So in English, that's, that's a small case S, and it's plural. You see that? Mm -hmm. It yeah. says, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body. All right? Now, look at, again, 2 Corinthians 5.21 and what do we read there? For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin. sin. You see the difference? Mm -hmm. In one place, the apostles talking about Jesus bearing our sins, our transgressions. In Corinthians, the apostles talking about the fact that Jesus himself became sin. So now I invite you to turn with me to Romans 5.20. Law came in to increase the sin. Law came in to increase the sin, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been grown together or united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old man, our old self, our old nature was crucified with him so that the sinful body might be destroyed. We might no longer be enslaved to sin for he who has died is freed from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Christ. For we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death 
no longer has dominion over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also, you also must reckon or consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Don't yield or present your members to sin as instruments of wickedness, but yield yourselves to God as men who have been brought from death to life. Your members to God as instruments of righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law, but under grace. We could continue to read, but I'd like you to back up to that fifth chapter again, where we see where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now, why on earth would the Apostle Paul ask the question that he did in the first verse of the sixth chapter? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? I remember when I was in Bible college, one of my classmates uh, who didn't quite make it, um, not from Bible college, but in the kingdom, said, well, if Jesus Christ died for my sins, past, present, and future, then I might as well just keep on sinning and his grace will take care of it. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound by no means? Or can we who die to sin still live in it? Now I want to tell you the truth. The very first time that I gave serious study to the book of Romans, I couldn't tell you when that was now, as Chris said a couple centuries ago. But when I first gave serious study to the book of Romans, I was just thrilled. Man, alive. Second chapter, yeah. Third chapter, oh my goodness, yeah. Oh my goodness, look at this fourth chapter. Oh man alive, this is powerful. Fifth chapter, oh my goodness, this is beautiful. Oh, now I understand that. Oh, I got it. And then I came to the sixth chapter. And this is what I read. How can we who die to sin still live in it? And I said, hey, dead to sin? I don't feel dead to sin. I mean, this is the honest uh, 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 essence of my heart when I I was in serious study and I was I was just drawing it all in and I was eating it up and then it 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 said this, how can we who die to sin still live in it? And I literally said to the Lord, Lord, I don't feel dead to sin. I don't feel dead to sin. Sometimes I feel very alive to sin. I don't get this. And I'm glad that I said something like that (laughs) because the Lord said something like, have you read the whole passage? Have you read it all? Mm. Uh, No. (laughs) Well, how about reading a little further? And so this is what I read. (laughs) It's all about Jesus. It's not about me at all. It's all about Jesus, catch this. Don't you know? There's always, there's all kinds of ways of knowing. And maybe we could explore that if we have the time. But this is, this word know means 
like Adam knowing Eve, mm -hmm. this intimate, down deep inside, mm -hmm. knowledge. And he says, don't you know this? Are you ignorant of this? Are you, are, are, are you still not aware of this? I had to say, no, I wasn't aware of it, Paul. Don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into what? His death. death. His death. He's the one that died to sin. He's the one who became sin, and he's the one who died. And now we find our death in him. That's what the cross is all about. The cross is all about Jesus Christ dying, and when he died, he took us with him on the cross. So the death that I deserve, Jesus took in himself, so that I don't have to die. That is, I don't have to be, what? Separated from God. Why? Because he's the one that cried out from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The scripture says, not Vern but the scripture says that he who knew no sin became sin. So we're reading, don't you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? We were buried there for, I, I presume the majority of us have been baptized. I, I, I don't know about your baptism, but I'll never forget mine. And so, and so then uh, the fourth verse, we were buried therefore with him into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been literally grown together with him in a death like his, we mm. shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And then notice, there's that word know again, the sixth verse. We know that our old nature our old self, our old man, it's literally man in the in the original Greek, anthropos, that our old man was crucified with him so that the sinful body might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. But if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So here, so here's what, Here's kind of like the bottom line, if I can put it to you this way. Think of, can I use a uh, silly analogy, uh, a dirty rags machine. And it just keeps on producing dirty rags. And so just, just think of this dirty rags machine keeps on producing dirty rags. <laughs> and so we gather all these rags up and we set them on fire. We douse them with some kind of fuel, we set them on fire, and they're all burned up. But there's a problem. It's the machine. <laughs> it keeps on producing the dirty rags. So unless you deal with the machine, you haven't dealt with the problem. So what the scripture's teaching us is that not only does Jesus deal with our sins, plural, our transgressions, but he deals with us, the sinner. Amen. Think of that. And it's all by faith. In it's him. all by faith. His work. What he has done, what he is doing. So we continue 
We're going to skip over it now to the 11th verse. All right. And it says, so you also must. So this is imperative. It's not a suggestion to you guys. My brother, it's not a suggestion to you. My sister, it's not saying, well, this would be pretty good if you did this. It's saying you must consider or reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Mm. Now, if I have a bank account and I have $5 in that bank account and I put down in my bank ledger that I've got $50 in my bank account, that's not reckoning. <laughs> what God is saying is this. That's the fact you count it as true. You count it true for yourself. It's the fact, whether you believe it or not, whether you act on it or not, whether you accept it or not, it's the fact. If you've come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've bowed the knee to him, if you've asked him to cleanse you from your sins, then the fact is, this is the fact, you're dead to sin in him. Reckon it to be the case. Count on it. Live by that. Don't say, well, you know, the old nature just got the best of me and I don't know how to explain it and so on and so forth. That's excuse making. That's excuse making. Either I yield to the flesh or I don't. And we'll talk about the flesh on another occasion. It's not the same as the old man or the old nature. It's a different concept in God's word. But point is that I can say, I can make all kinds of excuses before God, can I? I can make all kinds of excuses, but I didn't know that or, uh, yeah, I've made too many in my lifetime. <laughs> but the fact is, from God's perspective, when Jesus died on the cross, you died with him. From God's perspective, when he was buried, you were buried with him. From God's perspective, when you were raised, when he was raised from the dead, you were raised from the dead. Now live the life. Yield to him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I can do all things through Christ who lives in me. So it's a, it's a whole different perspective now for the child of God. He's never braggadocious. That's a word. <laughs> you can never brag about you know I'll tell you the truth when I first became a Christian man alive I came to know the Lord uh, in the Redwoods that's where Diane led me to the Lord was in the Redwoods uh, I had just seen a terrible Terrible accident on the way to see her. I was driving as fast as I could, literally, uh, out in the, out in the desert between Phoenix and, uh, middle California. And, um, there were no speed limits back in those days in the desert. It was reasonable and prudent speed. So I thought 125 was reasonable and prudent. And, uh, trying to get there in my brand new 55 Chevy. <laughs> first V8 that Chevy ever made and oh man alive I was just on my way to tell Diane this you're going to have to choose between Jesus or me can you imagine that can you imagine the audacity 
I'm glad those words never came out of my mouth. And outside of Bakersfield, California, I was the only witness to uh, an auto accident, the worst auto accident in California's history at that point, where 11 people were killed before my eyes. Uh, and a little two-year-old twin girl was the last to die in my arms, shaded by the door of one of the cars. And uh, from that point on, I went about, after I was released, about 40 miles an hour, 50 miles an hour, to get up to Watsonville, where Diane was with her mom. And her mom took great pity on me. And the next day, they prepared a lunch. And Diane guided me out to the Redwoods, Henry Cowell State Park. And uh, Diane said, Vern, will you do me a favor? Will you read the Bible? And she turned to the crucifixion account of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. And I knew it was for me. And I'll never forget, I just shared this with Chris and Tiff on the way over. I'll never forget two things. One, it was if I actually saw Jesus being crucified for me. And the other is how I fell in love with him. And I thought I want to serve him the rest of my life. And the first couple of years were miserable. <laughs> Do you know why? I was trying so hard. <laughs> and the harder I tried, the worse I failed. Is that good English? <laughs> the harder I tried, the worse I failed. And I tried so hard. And I remember, as if it were yesterday, kind of looking up like this and saying, Lord, don't you see how hard I'm trying? <laughs> and I had to learn about this, that it's not about me. It's about him in me. That he's my savior, redeemer, my high priest, my intercessor. He is the one that fills me with his resurrection life. If I yield to him, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So there's no bragging about the man of God or woman of God who is living a victorious life because they know the victories in Christ. Amen. So I don't know how much time has elapsed, but there's probably plenty for tonight. <laughs> so good. Praise God. That's really awesome. Dad, can I ask you one question before we wrap it up? Yes. You touched a little bit at the very beginning on the necessity of separation from God yes. because of sin. And one of the things that, as you all know, has been taught in the church recently, I can think of specific proponents who have written books about it, is this idea that there is no hell, there is no consequence truly for our sin or mm -hmm. separation from God. Mm -hmm. um, we're all going to end up with heaven because God is a God of love, He's right, a God right. of mercy, right? Right, right? So these right. things that you just shared they're available to anyone, whether or not they choose them, you know, intellectually or by faith in the moment, they'll get there in the end. Yeah. Um, what would you say to that person? Uh, read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus speaks more about hell than almost any other subject. So either you believe what Jesus says or you don't. Yeah. I believe what Jesus says. Amen. That's, that's my authority. Yeah, you gotta be careful in today's book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotta say it just right or not say it at all. <laughs> but the Lord is gracious to me. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having Diane and myself. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it, our being able to be with you. God bless you and your fellowship and 
all the ministry that you have here. It's wonderful. Lord bless you. Thank you. Thank you for pouring in. Thank you.